Zach Aston Reese. You might underappreciate Zach Aston Reese. Rest assured, Mike Sullivan does not. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. Comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer up Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates right where you found this. Penguins extended a qualifying offer to ZAR yesterday as a restricted free agent. Not a surprise there. Radim Zahorna was the only other one to get one. Also not a surprise. But if you look at the overall scope of the Penguins' moves since Game 6, and if you consider Ron Hextall letting Jared McCann go, which is basically what that was, and if you consider Ron Hextall letting Brandon Tanev go in the expansion draft, which is exactly what that was, then you also have to consider what it was that he kept and why. I feel like way too often when we've talked about the Teddy Bluger, Tanev, Aston Reese line, that we have done so in the context of the other two guys and not ZAR. To me, and actually to the analytics, which speak powerfully to this, Aston Reese has always been and likely will continue to be the driver on that line. Yes, Teddy brings a lot of good things. Teddy's the centerman. Teddy's good on draws. Uh, Teddy scores. Teddy kills penalties. Teddy does a lot of things, a lot of things. Tanev did a lot of things. He did all of those Tanev things. He added that speed. He was first one in on the forecheck. I would argue that Tanev's speed helped to compensate for ZAR's not-so-great speed and and Teddy's kind of okay speed. So he had value as well, and he also was the most visible. That's just common sense. That's the way the human eye will follow the thing that is making the most dynamic movements, and that's Tanev. But when you get right down to what that line has always been about, first and foremost, it's been defending. It's been elite-level shutdown work. According to advanced shot suppression statistics, Zach Aston Reese ranked, ready for this, number one among all NHL forwards in that category. Putting that in the simplest possible terms, if your team was in the Pittsburgh zone, there was no forward anywhere who was better at preventing you from taking a shot on goal. And sometimes we think of that as uh, shot suppression. What's that mean? You're blocking shots. Well, I mean, it's part of it. But there's also just a matter of making sure that the other team isn't getting them off. You could be intercepting passes. You could be making smart clears. 
you could be winning 50-50 battles along the boards with your size, with your leverage. He's good at all of that because in addition to his super strong, stocky build, ZAR is really, really smart. And this head coach is very much aware of that. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by Fubo TV. The monthly cost of cable is over 200 bucks. Fubo TV is 65 bucks a month to watch all the same channels, including AT&T, Sportsnet, Pittsburgh. Fubo TV is offering our listeners of this podcast seven-day free trial and 15% off your first month's bill. Just visit FuboTV.com slash DK. Again, that's FuboTV.com slash DK. A couple of years ago, Penguins were up at Madison Square Garden, and they were out on the ice for the morning skate. Very rarely does Sullivan partake in those when they're optional, and he was standing off to the corner of the rink watching from outside the glass, and he walked over to where I was standing and just arbitrarily asked what my impressions were of Aston Reese. And I don't ever claim to be on any kind of level with the people who evaluate hockey and coach hockey for a living. So I very humbly gave him a couple of responses. Just, you know, standard stuff. And Sullivan asked me if I'd ever seen him fighting in the minors. Fighting? No, I mean, I don't do a whole lot of studying fight film, you know, much less from the minor leagues. And he said, you should take a look. You should take a look. And I go, well, okay, clue me in why. And he said, this is, this is one tough SOB. And then he comes back with his classic, this is a good hockey player. That Boston accent, good hockey player. <laughs> Highest compliment you can be paid by the head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I don't know how else to put this to you, but you know how when somebody tells you something that you hadn't noticed before about a thing and they say, oh, you can't unsee it or you can't unhear it. I, I couldn't unsee or unhear what Sullivan had shared that day. Because, yes, I did go and look between the skate and the game that night at a couple bits of footage of Aston Reese fighting when he was with Wilkes-Barre, and, and it was pretty impressive. He thrashed whoever this was that he was taking on. It's, it's turned out he's not been some either frequent or particularly great fighter in the NHL. And that really wasn't the point that Sullivan was making anyway. He's not looking for fighters, obviously. Obviously, given his track record. But he is looking for tough. He is looking for guys who, when they go into the boards, will come out with the puck because they have that mindset that that in and of itself is a fight. Z.A.R. does that. And he does it as well as anyone in the league. He doesn't get the recognition for it. He doesn't get the respect for it including even right here in Pittsburgh. Why? Because he does get scoring chances and he doesn't do a whole lot with them, which is funny because if you go back to his time at Northeastern when he was one of the NCAA's most prolific scorers, that was supposed to be his strength. And then remember when he came up to the NHL and 
He scored a bunch of goals, uh, five goals in the first 10 games, and you thought, well, this is it. We got the new Patrick Hornquist here, and he didn't have anything of the kind. But he is a good hockey player. And of all these various machinations that the Penguins have done, that Hextall has done, singling out and correctly identifying Aston Reese as a strength, to me, is encouraging about this management's style and approach, even as some of the moves along the way have been easily questioned. When we come back, just one question. for just one question and that's brought to you on this program always by the greater pittsburgh community food bank where the good people there are recommitted to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western pennsylvania when i say recommitted i'm referring to their recent rebranding and to find out what that's all about if you've ever donated or worked with the food bank in any way this will interest you go to pittsburghfoodbank.org and see the video there that lays out their vision for the near-term future and the long-term future of taking care of those who don't know where their next meal is coming from. PittsburghFoodBank.org. Today's question comes from Ken Boyle, who asks, Hi, DK, something's on my alleged mind about drafts. If the NHL and Major League Baseball were more like the NFL and NBA without traditional minor leagues, would we see more 20-year-old draft picks going directly into those leagues? And would that speed up the player's development when it's sink or swim? Ken, the biggest variable in the four drafts that you cite is that two of those four rely so heavily on the concept of the global market. And those, of course, are the NHL and the NBA. Major League Baseball, yes, does get international players, but they're not part of the draft. In Major League Baseball, the draft is limited to the United States, Canada, and Puerto Rico. Everything else is international free agency. So it's a different world there entirely. But where the NHL and the NBA are concerned, you're getting players from countries all over the world where the systems of acquisition, the systems of compensation and everything else have nothing in common uh, across the board and you're dealing with all kinds of different rules. The reason that the hockey system works the way that it does is that, yes, 18-year-olds get drafted. And most of them, obviously, the overwhelming majority of them are nowhere near ready to contend for work in the NHL when they're taken. That's why you usually see no more than a handful of players make the jump to any degree. So even setting aside the impractical nature of the hypothetical that you're proposing here, because it will never happen, with hockey... One of the things that's beautiful about the sport and that I've loved since childhood is that you see different 
traits of different backgrounds in players just in the way they play. It's not as crystal clear as it used to be 10, 20, 30 years ago where you could see a guy spinning around in the neutral zone and say, yep, there's a Russian. There's been a whole lot of blurring of the lines since then. But it does still matter. When you draft a Swedish forward, you know that that forward is going to be a 200-foot player because that's just how they're raised in the Swedish program. It's how they play in the top level. When you raise a goaltender or get a goaltender out of Finland, you know you're getting a really, really good goaltender. That sounds like an oversimplification but look at the dominance from that country at that position. There's a lot of examples like this. And that, to me, is part of the charm of hockey. And the same thing goes for the grit of the Western Canadian kids or some of the U.S. college kids in the Northeast. Uh, they come from all over, and they're groomed all over. When we talk about the Penguin system, a lot of times the conversation begins and ends just with whatever's on the Wilkes-Barre roster, but the fact is they're playing all over creation before they get to Wilkes-Barre, never mind before they get to Pittsburgh. And there are different traits. They're positive and, you know, some negative ones as well that you can pick up along the way. Case in point, case in point, Samuel Poulin and Nathan Legere, I could make the argument in the same breath that their offensive skills are boosted significantly by playing in the queue. Just as I can make the case that both of them will now need extra work in Wilkes-Barre and extra time in Wilkes-Barre learning how to be 200-foot players because that's just not required of most kids still to this day in the queue. That's been true forever and it has not changed in Quebec. But the biggest issue of all is still age and frame. When you see a, a, a well, I'll use these examples again. Poulin and Legere, when they showed up for their very first development camp and you see that they're all filled out, you can kid yourself into thinking that they'll be ready for the NHL because they kind of look the part and they don't show up all lanky and skinny the way, for example, Oscar Sundqvist did when he came to North America. They're, they're ready to play. Most aren't. Most aren't. All you have to do is watch the NHL draft and look at these kids when they're pulling those jerseys over their heads and see how lanky they are and how they all still need to fill in because one of the things that scouts do is they, they don't look at your current frame. They look at what they call your projectable frame. So when they see a kid who's six foot four but weighs 170 pounds, they're not thinking about him this coming fall. They're thinking about what six foot four can carry in two, three, or four years when the young man eventually fills out. So, no, I, I don't think you're going to see a scenario where there's any kind of shortcut because even if there were none of these things that I just described, you're going to have players who just flat out aren't going to be able to handle the grind of the NHL. Physically, physically. 
I appreciate the question. That's good stuff. Uh, I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. Mm-hmm.